Podcasting straight from North Carolina is Dr. Jennifer Eichner-Lowry sharing her author journey with you. Jen Lowry writes is a place where amazing things happen for authors and readers together. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate podcast host. Jen is just the bird singing the song. She is a published author, educator, homeschool mama, life coach, and dreamer. Join her on the daily journey of discovering what this writing life is all about. Let's see what she will be led by the Holy Spirit to talk about today. Here's Jen. Thanks for supporting my Jen Lowry Writes podcast. My purpose is to inspire and encourage others to chase after their writing goals with faith and courage. By hitting the support this podcast button and with your monthly contribution of 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99, you are helping me chase after mine. Hey everybody, welcome to Jen Lowry Writes. Today I have such a blessed treat for everyone. Guys, guess who's with me today? I've got Laura Amy Schlitz with me. She is the author of the Newberry Medal winning Good Masters, Sweet Ladies, Voices from a Medieval Village, the Newberry Honor Book and New York Times bestseller Splendors and Glooms, the Hired Girl, recipient of the Scott O'Dell Award for Historical Fiction and the National Jewish Book Award, and several other books for young readers, including The Night Fairy, which I absolutely love. A teacher, as well as a writer, Laura lives in Maryland. Laura, welcome to the show. I just want to like hug you through the screen and so because I can't like hug you, I'm going to hug your book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It appreciates that. I know it does. I feel so honored to be able to have this conversation with you today because your books are just so moving. The words that you give are like gifts. Thank you. They're gifts. So you've got to tell me a little bit about that gift of writing. You have a sense of storytelling that just captures the heart. Where could you say that comes from? Well, I, in, in an oral sense, I've been telling stories for a long time now. I, I work at the park school and I'm the librarian and I tell three stories a week. I've been telling three stories a week for 30 years. So there is something about having children look at you and, you know, they, you know, like when, when somebody's mean or unjust in a story, they're horrified, you know, and they're satisfied when something is beautiful and they're satisfied when it comes out right. You can see the relief and you can see all the stuff that's going through their heads because children just give themselves to a story in a way that not all adults can, but they can. And you can also see when you're losing them. You can also see when there are too many words on the page. Um, I don't read my books aloud to them because it would take a while. It would, it would hijack the curriculum. But um, I think actually telling stories orally and watching the faces of children um, has, has given me a, a little bit of a leg up on being a storyteller. 
but you can see the lean in. You can see the lean. Yeah. That in, you can see it. And so when I'm reading your book, I'm leaning in because it's that same feel as if you are right there weaving this magical story. And it's it takes you in. Switching POVs is just seamless. It's just, it's all woven together just so beautifully. I just, it's just so, when I think about the research that you put into this book, how long was this book in the making? Uh, over four years. I don't like to say five, but I mean, I, I researched the whole time. And uh, it was, it was a funny book because, um, well, Splendors and Glooms, I, I compare that to pulling a wet tissue through a coin slot. That was a killer of a book and I never got more than like a quarter of an inch at a time. Um, the hired girl was like watching a ball of yarn bounce across the floor. I just had to, you know, get up and sort of bounce after that. It was such, a, such an easy book. This one was strange because it would baffle me. It was like those puzzles that you sometimes find in craft stores that are like wood and, and bent pieces of metal and you're supposed to fit and you can't do it. And then suddenly your hands do it and you don't know how it happened. And this was like that. This book would fight and baffle me completely and then it would give. And I'd look at it like, oh, so it was a... Um, it was a book that surprised me frequently when I worked on it. That's lovely. There is a line in the book that stays with me, and I wrote it, nobody ever gets out of anything. And when I read that line, that mattered so much to me in my adult writing world at the moment. It's like it can apply to not only children, but it was like that spoke to me, and it's like, you couldn't get out of this book. Like it was going to take you <laughs> however many. It's true. When you're writing on a book, don't you feel like you've sort of, well, to, to, to clean up a phrase from my, my grandfather, you've got your, your rear end shackled to the book. And I always sort of imagined the shackles around the rear end, you know, sort of really holding you in place with book. Yeah. And, and even you were giving a speech and I watched that one. It was online. It was on YouTube and it was at the National Book Festival. And you were even talking, even in the way that you presented yourself, it was such a story. And you <laughs> talked about the Minotaur and you gave out uh, Greek mythology in the middle of that speech and you had that ball of yarn and you talked about the friendships that are forged and how a friend helped you get to that August 15th yeah. date for that book. Yeah. I love that and I was thinking I've, I had this sense about you that you've always loved Greek mythology or you've always loved that type of, of world and you are pulled towards historical fiction, correct? Like, does that? Yes, I am. I don't know why my imagination works that way, but it does. And yes, you're right. I've loved Greek mythology ever since. I think I was introduced to it in in eighth grade, actually. 
So has this kind of always been a secret gift that you've held in your heart? Like you knew you would always write or tell a story about Greek mythology? Had that always kind of been present with you? No, but I did for a number of years want to write about Socrates. I, I, I wanted to write about him and this slave boy. And, um, it, you know, I, I sort of finished The Hired Girl and I didn't have anything to write. And I thought, well, you know, it's a good idea to write that book about the slave boy. And I kind of couldn't get started and couldn't get started. And in one of the books I read about the little bears who uh, served the goddess Artemis and I wanted to write about them, you know? And then I thought, well, how can I, how can I put the little bears because they were probably aristocratic Athenian girls, these girls that served the goddess Artemis as bears. Um, and, and here's this slave boy and girls and boys didn't mix and slaves and aristocrats did not mix. And, um, and at that time, Candlewick had, there was a conference in New York City and Candlewick put me in the library hotel now the library hotel has call numbers for all its rooms. So the first time I stayed in the library hotel, I stayed in oceanography. And you know, they've got Jacques Cousteau books on the bookcases and pictures of giant squids on the wall. And the second time I stayed in Islamic literature with beautiful calligraphy and, and poetry that I couldn't read on the shelves. Well, this time they put me in the paranormal room. And I thought, well, I could put these two characters together if one of them was a ghost. Love that part. I love that. So I, you know, that was, I was, I was so thrilled to be in the paranormal room because I hadn't thought of it before. And then suddenly there it was, you know, that I could write about this girl and I could write about this boy and they could meet because, you know, after death, yeah. you know, you don't necessarily have the same boundaries. You've got boundaries, but they're different. I absolutely love how life experience can just hit you in some way. Something that seems normal to one person can hit a writer and open up and unlock that yes. Pandora's box of creativity. And it can be all of this kind of thing. And then that one hope is there. That one spark is there. Like, that is the coolest story. First, I want to go to that hotel. <laughs> but I'm sure that, uh, that that my life would not allow me to go to that hotel right now. I got to put that hotel on my bucket list. Oh, it's nice. Oh. They're very nice there too, and they have a writers they have a writers uh, conservatory, and um, so it's 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 a okay. good place to go. That's that's a bucket knows, list for me. Who knows where you'll end up? Who you know? knows? That's the thing. Who knows that I would have been ended up here. Theological formations? Yes, and just me being here talking to you opens up any possibility in the world of, of you know, what God has out for me there. <laughs> I could just see it all. So I just love it. There's no telling what room I would get. One, I, I think I'd love that paranormal, but I would want to just leave it up to chance. Yeah, yeah, there's and, a real charm. And, you know, I think I had good ones, you know. I mean, I, I could have been put in, you know, the American Depression. That wouldn't have been a fun one. But it was perfect for you. It was it the was. And I will tell you, speaking of fate, who would have thought washing your hair could lead and seal your fate? I mean, I just love some of your li Your lines are magnificent. Your word choices are beautiful. When you wrote, 
okay, I can't give anything away. Start screaming now if I'm going to do a spoiler alert. But when you said, I am afraid of the dark. And then when you did that counter turn and that last line was, I am not afraid of the dark. Or, oh, I got to go find it. And I can see in the dark. I, I can see in the dark. I, I don't want to misquote you, but the last line was, and I'm afraid of the dark and I can see in the dark. Yeah. Just, oh, I just was like chills. I don't know. It was just like I was feeling that moment. And I was like, look how these words are just spider webs spun. And once it all is there, you know, you don't see the beauty of the web until then you step away from each section. And then it all comes like the beauty of the web. Because it's interesting because I wrote these, these, you know, turn counter turn pieces with repeating certain syllable patterns all the way through. And um, I, I think that when people read them, um, even though they're not aware of it, there's some kind of symmetry that plays with their mind, or at least that's how I feel when, when I read them, that you're not aware that line 12 has six syllables and then line 12 of second thing has six syllables, but somewhere there's a part of our brain that just appreciates pattern. And I think that that's, that's part of what that technique of the Greeks, that strophe antistrophe, uh, did was it appealed to the sense of pattern and repetition and what you just said is how I basically thought in my head about how the spider web was being formed like when you would each line you would draw it out then when you walk away and look back you see the pattern you see the beauty you see the intricacy and see the importance of each line because when you first read you read the line you read for meaning you, you hear the pattern, you hear the, the heartbeat of the sound. Then when you walk away, you see the beauty of it all. Well, also when you're trying to copy these syllable patterns, what, what ended up happening was somehow you, you get the, the two different climaxes at the same place, you yes. know, because of the nature of language. And of course, if I were better at it, you'd see that even more because um, I was able to keep the, the syllable counts the same, but I couldn't always keep the rhythms the same. And I didn't always want to, but anyway, we're probably confusing people who are listening. Now, that just means you need to go and get this book on March 9th so you can see everything we're saying. So for me, setting up the exhibit pieces. So I've read books before and then there would be like a free teacher resource guide that would go along. Like it would have, you could flip through and you could do some supplemental curriculum pieces or someone would actually, you know, they would offer it free to people, to readers, or they would make you pay for like a companion novel, you know, to go along with the work, the main body of work. The way that you've structured this, you have it all intertwined. So you have, you know, 18 exhibits in here Plus you have the storytelling, plus you have the verse. You've got, you know, you've got so much wealth of information that not only students can move through and just absorb, but teachers can also capitalize on. 
and take excerpts. You know how you said you probably couldn't do the whole entire thing. (laughs) But, But, you know, as teachers, we look for model text. We look for places that we could pull from to show examples of a technique, to show additional resources. And you've got it all beautifully packaged. So did you have that in your mind to begin with? Did you see it all playing out like that with the exhibits and just the different variety? I I knew from the beginning, I kind of wanted to use images. And in fact, in the beginning, sometimes I was writing these these newspaper articles about how a new artifact had been discovered and what the archeologists were saying. I, I ended up cutting this. This book was written um, almost by process of elimination. I just tried stuff and kind of messed with stuff. And some of it I threw out. I, I threw out a lot because there were things that I was just trying and they, they didn't work. But so I did you do that in your, go ahead. I didn't know that I wanted to have some visual stuff and I was interested because we look at artifacts from the past and we make reasonable assumptions about them. And so you see a beautiful doll that must have cost money and you say this was for a much beloved child, but not necessarily. It may have been given in an entirely different context. So I was sort of playing with that too. And then, you know, you'd think about an artifact and then like they showed me horse bits in the National Archaeological Museum in Greece. Uh, When I traveled there, we had these wonderful guides and they found out I was interested in horses and how horses were being treated. And they they took care that I saw the bits. And I, I also thought, you know, this is what this kid is going through. I mean, he's got a sharp bit in his mouth. Um, He's being trained um, with all of these hardships. Um, So the artifact stimulates your imagination at the same time and helps you think thematically. Oh, that's beautiful how you use that to help you with that next, with that next. I do love the horse piece in there. And I like how you talk about the reality, like it's a tough reality. And sometimes when we look at children's literature, people may get the misunderstanding that everything has to be beautiful and rose colored glasses. No, you know, you respect children and you can tell that with the work that you do because you respect them to be able to handle that type of life and what it could have looked like. And let's get real here. Like he's shoveling poo, but he's, he's not having a friendship, a companion. He's not, you know, he's alone. He's not being able to speak unless spoken to his world is just turned upside down. And then he sees the beauty in that. And he sees the work and how to create that type of beauty in his own craft. And I love that. I love that life that you gave him. Because then that hard work that he put into that, it shows that the first time you draw a horse, 
<laughs> or the first time, the first time you do anything, the first time you ride a bike, the first time you write a story, it's gonna look a little messy and the legs aren't gonna work right. And you're not gonna have that natural flow. And then he says, how does, you know, how could you draw water on skin? How can someone do that? And it's like, you think of, of an artist and he's like, it's gotta be a God. It can't be a human. Yeah. And you take away that for a child to understand, like what they see, well, this, that person that wrote this book, they can't be a human. They have to be this superpower, otherworldly, creative person. And you say, no, it takes work. It takes the everyday and it takes that love of that thing. And I got that with just his experience, just with the horse and with the painting that you want it so much you find ways to get that thing whatever that thing is that creative spark that thing you find ways to make it work and so that was inspiring to me as an author when I read that because it reminded me that we all start messy we yeah. just we start messy and so when you were like when you were writing and then you were discovering and then the, the, the book was pulling you in these directions. When did you edit? Do you write a little bit, then edit at, after you finish? How do you, how's your process when you're writing? Because you said you cut a lot of things. Was that with an editor? No. That no. was with you. That was no, you deciding. That was just, you know, it was, I wrote a lot of, I wrote a lot of, you know, garbage. Um, and, uh. And I, I didn't have a sense of the, how this was going to structure. I just kept sort of trying things and then taking things that I sort of liked and kind of quilting them together um, because I didn't, I didn't know how to write this book, both because it's a strange book, but also one of the terrible things about writing, and I'm sure you've noticed this, is that writing one book does not teach you how to write another book. You know, you have to start all over again. It's maddening. You would, you know, I make bread, you know, and if somebody says, okay, make whole wheat bread, I'm like, okay, I can change the whole wheat. I can, you know, but a book, it, it has its own rules and you have to figure out what universe you're in. Um, I don't know if that's answered your question. It is, but isn't that the joy of the ride? Well, it can be, it can be. Yeah, and, and this was this was a book that had its its definite pleasures, um, because there were those moments when the puzzle would yield to my hands, and I was like, "What is? Look at that! You know, I don't know how that happened." Um, so the thing is, is thinking back of all the all the places where you cut. How hard was that? Because some people say it's so hard to cut the babies. It's so hard to cut the words and, and get them, get rid of them. Like, did you just say, no, nah, this has got to go. This doesn't work. Now, you have to understand what I cut was really bad. You know, what I cut was like the quality of bad where I wouldn't want someone to break into my house and see it. <laughs> um, the kind of bad where you know, I worry about dying before I can get those pieces into the recycling. Um, <laughs> but you write them. I, I do have <laughs> trouble cutting sometimes because I overwrite. I always <sighs> overwrite. That's just, you know, and then I have to pull back and I'm always aware of that. And I'm always, 
you know, I look, I finish writing and I look at the word count. I think, well, can I get another hundred out of there? And, you know, I'm still a wordy writer. I just am. Um, although, as I, I, I want to say, as Hermie says, this looks like such a substantial book, but a lot of it is verse and verse yeah. just eats paper. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially at the, at, as it goes on, it's more and more verse. So sure. it's really yeah. not that long. Um, but it is thick and substantial in a really, um, I think, a very luscious Love, way. Yes. Beautiful book. Look how it is a lovely it. way. Yes. I, you love, I love these illustrations. I love that she puts the horse and the bear on the cover because they are kind of animating spirits for these two children. And I just love that they're there. Um, I feel like she really understood what was at stake as well as knew how to make the cover spectacularly yes. beautiful and it is and it is and the work is beautiful Thank and you. Then, you know you say i like what you said about each book having its own way and you would think you would know but you but i love your career because you have not set yourself in a boundary what says i'm here you say the story's here. I'll go with it because I I love knowing that you wrote the monologues. Yeah, and I I messaged my uh, theater teacher who I absolutely adore, and I messaged her and I said, "Look who I'm getting ready to meet." And I and I made a joke to her. I'm like, "This could be your next project with all of your free time when you're not auditioning and you're not. You could do." high school monologues and I hope I planted a seed there because she's beautiful and so absolutely talented that I sent her uh your book and I said go go check it out but now to see on YouTube children acting out your monologues yeah schools acting them out kid there was a girl sitting in a, like a forest on leaves and this is my favorite monologue as she opens it she reads it I know that that has got to bring your heart's joy yes it does it does and it's and really I mean they're they are meant to be performed and they're meant to be performed by children because just the youth of children gives them a poignancy that they don't have on the page I think. So when you were tasked with writing the monologues, that came out of a natural experience. You wanted the children to have something to act yeah. out. And I, I, you know, I, I volunteered for that. It's interesting because I did, when I was about 10, my parents took me to see Grace, Joyce Grenfell. She was a British monologist and she was very fine. Um, and and you can see bits of her on on youtube eng lit is her i think her very best but you know who knew that taking this kid to see a monologist when she was about 10 would lead her into this path you know years later where i said well i'll write some monologues because i'd seen monologues and then from that to be published by candlewick and then from that to get the gold sticker so you know, like when you, so when you were first writing the monologues, did you have it in your mind? This, this is for the students that I'm surrounded with in my library 
or did you have it in your mind this is something I want published for the world to have access to I, I wrote it for my students and I had tried to get other things published and I had failed and I thought no one would publish those because because nobody goes into a bookstore and says I'd like a life I'd like a book about the lives of medieval children told in the form of dramatic monologues no nobody wants that you want a dinosaur book <laughs> um, but you know it was it was a a very uh, wonderful trick that was played on me and people kept saying you should try to get these published and finally after I think you know four years I said I will prove to you that nobody will publish these and I I went alphabetically through a, a writer's guide and I went, you know, and I, I think Harper Collins, I got up to H. I started with Alfred Knox and, you know, Candlewick and Chronicle and, you know, all the way up to, I think I did Green Willow, which pulped it and uh, Harper, Harper and, and then, and, and Candlewick bit. They wrote back and they said, yeah, we like these. We want to do something with these. <laughs> Did you almost just fall out? Like, what was Yeah, I jumped up. I kicked my shoes off and I ran up and down in the halls of my school. And yes. Saw me kind of soaring, you know, leaping like Nijinsky. And, um, you know, I was, I, I am among the adults in their lives that tell them that they're not supposed to run in the hall because someone could get hurt. And so I was floating and wafting and, you know, jumping through the halls and they looked at me with, but I had to run it off. I was so excited. I was running with you right there. <laughs> I could feel the joy of you running down a hallway. And then, the, then did you have to say, uh, you were right. <laughs> did no, you I left it for mystery. You know, it's good for, <laughs> it's good for people to have some things to wonder about. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. And then you have, the Night Fairy for young readers. Yeah, well, I, I wanted, you know, there were so many little girls that would come to me because they wanted a book about a fairy, but they wanted the fairy to be the main character. And we didn't have very many. So I thought I'd write one. And so it was a year ago and I started working on a fairy book. And I was like, you know what? I need some research. I need to find a book. And I was having that similar problem, like the young girls in your library. But there was one book that kept coming up that was recommended. And it was by you. And it was The Night Fairy. And I was like, I've got to read this book. I've got to see what all this is about. And I absolutely loved The Night Fairy and did a book review on it. Just so in love. And I was like, guys, this book, every classroom, Every family needs to have this on their shelf. This was such a story that I could see with my granddaughter one day, one day in the far future, sitting and reading to her each night. Like, it's just a beautiful, and I was like, the vocabulary is perfect. It's spot on. Like, it's not too much. It's not too heavy, but it matters. Well, and Angela Barrett's illustrations oh. made that book a beautiful gem. Yes. I think a lot of people buy that book because it looks like a special gift for a special child. It is. It's splendid. 
it's just a splendid book. And so you move from from all of these different ages that that you have within your world of writing. Do you just do you chase story or does story just chase you? And and how does that relationship work? I, I don't know. I do know. I mean, I'll be eager to see who's going to read this. I don't know what age is going to read this yet. You know, um, so I will tell you, know, you with I the fairy, I thought, you know, I, I had a definite age in mind, which was second grade. And it's been read by older children and younger children. But it had this. I, I just never I don't know yet who this reader is, but I had to I had to write the story. Um, you know, and I, I joke around sometimes and I say, well, you know, if, if you get an idea and you turn it away because you think it's not marketable enough or it's not important enough or it's not, you know, then maybe the other ideas won't come. They'll say, oh, I had a friend who went to her house and oh, she was turned away. So, you know, you sort of have to take what comes. Oh, love this, it. you know, was was a strange book. And I, I, I about this one, I like to say it went to a lot of other writers first. Um, but they 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 said, well, you know, no, that sounds weird. And so it finally came to me and I wasn't its first choice. <laughs> but you were its right choice. It yeah. was fated for you because you were the perfect one to write this story. It was meant for you all along. That's how I look at it. And I see it for early middle grade. I see it for definitely for middle grade, but I also see it for high school students because believe it or not, you think, well, Percy Jackson is not being talked about today. Like, you know, that's been a while back. Oh no, students are still saying Percy Jackson's one of my favorite books and one of my favorite wow. series. And I mean, this was something I just asked last month to my ninth graders. What is the last book that you remember reading and falling in love with? Yeah. Not one that it was required reading. But not one, one that gave you that, yeah, that I don't want to put it down. I completely love this. Feeling. And Percy Jackson will continue to come up. And so I know that students are then going, well, do you have a copy of that Percy Jackson book? Can I stop by? And I'm like, yes, I do. I actually have them on my shelf. Come by when we get back to school. We start back tomorrow uh, from being in virtual since last May, March. But we come back tomorrow and I told my students, wait till you see the bookcase in my office. Wait till you see. And when the library doesn't have it, you have to put it on hold. I'll get it. You can get it off my shelf or I'll find it and I'll gift it to you. You tell me what it is you want. And it's Percy Jackson. And so I do believe that even high schoolers that are in love with mythology would love this book. They would adore it and they would like the structure because we do have the Kwame Alexanders who are writing and, and prose and verse. And we have, you know, Jason Reynolds doing it. And we have other words for home. Like we do have books that we champion at schools because it gives students a break away from the full set novel. It, it gives them an experience like none of, this is an experience like none other. And so I even see it in a perfect place for high school. 
And then, of course, I see it being read in teacher prep programs when people are working in children's literature and saying, what's the books that you need to know about? And to me, it's this right here, guys, Amber and Clay. And so I can see it across ages. So like you said, like you don't quite know like the exact perfect spot. I think there is just a universe for it. Good. Maybe not Let one location. I, I believe that it can spread. I believe that this story has the power to spread across age groups and be appropriate for all age groups, which is, is fascinating how you did such a such a lovely book in that way. Because yes, the night fairy, I could see a second grade student running down that hallway after <laughs> checking out the night fairy. I can see that for a young reader and it fits perfectly second, third grade, the night fairy. But when you're, when I look at Amber and Clay, I look at it being this book that can transform the grade level criteria. It can move and then it can move with the student. And when they would read it again, they would experience it in a new way because then they've built their own experiences. And this would be a great reread for them as they move through their life. Like that that's just my take my take well i i like your take very much i do i do too um i will say that for me the research process like your bibliography extensive in the back of this book love your author notes really you know it shows that you truly care about what you do yeah i I really do. And I, I mean, I, um, well, the, the, the bookcase that you can see in this room, that is, that was completely filled with new Greek books because I had to read more Greek books. And it actually, it's a very pretty bookcase. It's got a little Greek key around it, which made me feel that I really did have to buy it. Um, but I did a lot of research because there was so much I didn't know. And, uh, you know, specific things, Thracian tattoos, donkey's feet, you know, and I'd, you know, there I was looking up again, but it, it did give me a sense of world. And at first, you know, and, and I had this experience the first time I read the Iliad, it just was so, I had such culture shock because the Iliad is so strange to a woman of the 20th, 21st century. Um, and I couldn't see things the way the original audience did at all. Um, and, and it, you know, it was only on the, like the third reading of the Iliad that it really started to, this is great stuff. This is amazing stuff. Um, so, so there was culture shock with entering that Greek world too, which was, oh, such a, such a violent world. Um, these people had hard lives and they didn't have really any security. I mean, there's constant warfare. Uh, it's almost no wonder that they fetishized these beautiful young men that were soldiers because these beautiful men stood between you and enslavement and death, um, which, you know, yes, yes, they, they saw them as, as, as noble and beautiful beings. Um, but it was, it was, it was 
a rough world, but they created such beauty in it. And, uh, and, and I think my, my, my enslaved boy, Rascos, is like that. You know, he, um, he sees the world. He sees the beauty in a horse. And, um, and it's amazing that he can, but he does. Uh, and even though his life is hard, he's a creator. And he has been gifted with that. He's been gifted that with that ability to create through a God's gift too. And I, and I love that as well, introducing the different personalities of the gods. Like we read, we read the Odyssey every year in ninth grade still. Like and we see the enthusiasm of students when they, they'll say, oh, wait, I know Zeus. And mm -hmm. I know Hermes, he's got the flying shoes, right? And then, then once we start talking about just the dynamics of that world and that culture, they're like, okay, that's a lot more than just flying shoes and a thunderbolt. Let's look yeah. further. So that's where also your book is an excellent teaching tool because you do go through that. Um, extensively and you can tell that that research just patterns and matches just so perfectly within how you tell your story so I want to I just want to thank you for just following after the story as it presented itself to you and just well, thank you for all these lovely things you've said no it's beautiful I absolutely love your work and I just feel so blessed that I've had this opportunity to sit with you today and just share in your process and get to know you and your colorful life. Look at the colors. Okay, everybody, <laughs> I know a lot of you listen to the podcast. I know you guys are love the audio version of the podcast, but this is recorded and it's going to be on YouTube and you can just see beautiful colors and a beautiful smile and a heart and just a passion for story right here. And I feel like I'm sitting in that living room with you and just- Can I, can I, can I play show and tell since yes, we are here? Yes, please. Okay, so, I would love is, it. This is, this is also a story for discouraged writers, which is, which is all writers, because we yes. live in perpetual frustration and discouragement. Um, I, I said, the early manuscript of this to a friend. And he was someone that I knew really um, liked my work. And he, he wrote me back and he said he thought it was kind of bleak and monochromatic. And he said that thing that people say when they really want you to stop writing a book. He said, you know, put it in a drawer for a couple of years and think it over. And I, I, I didn't want to put it in, in a drawer. I, I, was, I, was, I was actually in, in despair. And it was also a time when I was, um, I had some problems with money because, you know, that big sewer pipe that comes out of your house and goes all the way to the sidewalk, well, that needed to be replaced. So. Um, here I had this book that I didn't want to give up on, but it was not working. And the person that I, you know, someone who I really trusted had told me that it was no good. And, um, and there was an exhibition of bronzes in um, Washington, DC. Now you don't get that many chance to see the Greek bronzes. There aren't that many that have survived. So I thought, well, I have to go see the Greek bronzes. 
um, because, you know, how often, you know, if I, if I did write this book, I'd need to have seen the Greek bronze. And so I went and looked at them. Of course, they're just amazing and alive. And afterwards, I sort of walked through the gift shop because, you know, there might be a book I needed there. And there was a bracelet that I needed. Uh, and I didn't want to buy the bracelet because I didn't have money for a bracelet. You know, it wasn't like super expensive bracelet, but, you know, it was, it was, you know, and there was that sewer pipe. Um, but I, I kept thinking about the bracelet and I did order the bracelet and I have never worn the bracelet. I'll tell you why. You won't be able to see very well, but there are three seals and two of them are Pegasus flying up into the sky. And one of them is maybe Andromeda because she's being carried off by a sea monster. And um, I bought this and it was a commitment to myself that I was going to write the Greek book. And I told myself I would never wear this bracelet until the day came when I had to sign the Greek book. And I thought to myself that the, you know, the Pegasus is one side of creation, you know, where you soar up among the clouds and, you know, there's light and there's wind and there's all this openness. But Andromeda, she's being taken underwater where she might drown by a sea monster. And it's not exactly her idea of how she planned to spend the day. And that also is the process of creation. So I bought this, which I couldn't afford, as a signal to myself that I was going to write this Greek book. And when things got really bad with the Greek book, I would put on the magic bracelet. And I would sit here and I would type with the magic bracelet on. It never failed me if I was desperate. And I didn't wear it all the time. You know, I didn't wear it because then the magic would run out. And I'm not sure how much is still in here. But if I was really desperate and I couldn't, I just couldn't work through, I would go and put on the magic bracelet, which was my commitment to this book and had sea monsters and winged horses on it. And I would sit there and I would type away. And I am hoping that sometime soon, I will have a pile of books to sign and I can wear the magic bracelet. And who knows, I might even be able to wear it socially sometime. Yes, I love that. And it motivated you. Okay, you ready? I have it moved. This is not a magic trick. I have a motivator. Are you ready? Yeah. It never leaves. <laughs> it never leaves my side when I'm writing. It's Good. always here. Nobody ever knows. Well, also, it is, it is a bear. Bear. And bears pajamas <laughs> that my husband got to me for our first valentine together we've been together six years now and he got me this and i know that i got it tucked down here every time i write and it's a reminder of not only the love of my family now because my son wants to be a wildlife biologist and study bears oh. But it's about my grandchild one day getting an opportunity to have my story that I wrote for them. One day sitting at this desk 
with this teddy bear stuck right here. And it's a motivator to me. I feel like we all need those motivators in those times of that, you know, that I'm afraid of the dark. Because the writer can be just like Lycos and say, but I'm afraid of the dark. And then we have either someone to come in and help inspire us or we inspire ourselves and we pray and we say, but I know someone who can see in the dark. And that is when we let our stories shine. That is when we let our stories out. And so I love your bracelet. I love that that was that motivator for you. I cannot wait to know that when you get your stack and you're ready and you're signing and it's going out, you're going to have on that magic bracelet. I just, I love it. So guys, don't give up hope. Continue to chase after stories and let stories chase after you. I just, I want to thank you so much, Miss Laura, for being here. I just want to just, again, hug you, hugging the book. March the night is coming. Look at her pretty hard back. Look. Beautiful. It's got got orange and paper. (gasps) If you undress it, it's got red foil against this kind of saffron color, which is very appropriate because of of the saffron dyed robes of the girls at Fraulein. And the, just the illustrations and the art and the design and all of the beauty of this book. Yeah, this is, is, this is a gorgeous book. It is a gift, guys. It is a gift that I would truly encourage you to give to yourself as a writer, so you can experience the craft of beauty and words in the making. Look at that. But it's also a gift to give to someone that you love. And you want them to experience the beauty of story. Um, There's no greater gift that you can give a child than a book. Love and a book, of course. But when you give them the book, You're allowing them to escape whatever it is in their world into some other world. And this is a world that you can introduce to any child and they would love it. Love it. So thank you so much, guys. We are signing off. I just want to say how amazing this opportunity has been. And I hope that we can stay in touch. And guys, I will check you guys out later. So I challenge you today to go out there and write something inspiring and share it with the world. Thanks for joining me on Jen Lowry Writes. You guys have a blessed day.